welcome to another episode of Bench Talk. I'm your host, Tom Gerrard. Uh, this week, I catch up with uh, photojournalist and artist from uh, Chicago, KC Ortiz. How are you going? Good. Thanks for having me, Tom. Happy to be here. Yeah, no worries. On Skype. Yeah. <laughs> it's, good, it's good to uh, good to see you again. It's been a, been a, lot, a lot of years under the... Uh, yeah. The gone past. But um, yeah, I just wanted to uh, you know, chat to you. You've got had quite a diverse uh, creative life. You know, it's, uh, you've done you've you've done a lot of different things creatively, and it's uh, a bit wanted to sit down with you and have a chat because um, although we've uh, chatted a lot in person, um, it's mm-hmm. usually just uh, you know we don't really get to I didn't really get to find out as much about you as um, I wanted to. So right. um, you're originally from uh, Chicago, that's right. I am born and raised in Chicago, Chirac. Yeah, and as how they call it? Yeah. How was that growing up? Uh, you know, at the time, it was great. In retrospect, as an adult that's seen a bit more of the world, it was it was probably not uh, the best place to grow up, you know? You get in some trouble there, and trouble finds you in a place like Chicago pretty early on. Yeah, because it's, got, it's yeah. got a bit of a um, reputation, like the south side. Is that the rough part? Is Yeah, uh, well... The south side and the west side are probably are definitely the rougher parts of the three sides, uh, but it's all it's all it's a tougher city. It's a real a real city, I guess is kind of how we always put it. Yeah, I've always wanted to check it out. I've never never made it out there, but um. Yeah, it's it's worth a visit. Yeah, it's worth checking out. I mean, you know, it's a city and neighborhood, so you have downtown, which I think is what most people envision of chicago is the skyscrapers and stuff but it's not much actual life there it's all in the neighborhoods and outlining areas yeah it's the same with a lot of cities you know sure even new york's starting to go that way now isn't it like it's yeah all, uh, yeah you know, very true manhattan's sort of uh been bought up yeah it's just a rich man's disneyland now yeah Manhattan. Yeah. So, um, so uh, where'd you get your start in art? Like, what, like, where, where'd you start creatively? You know, uh, I don't remember, like, as a kid necessarily what I was doing creatively, but I know by around 12 years old, I started to get interested in graffiti. And that's when I started just writing different names. I didn't really have a consistent name just in the neighborhood, like, uh, mean street style you know like uh little marker tags and stuff on mailboxes um and then i did that for for quite some time until i met some people and like figured out kind of the real stuff behind graffiti yeah because um yeah yeah because i like looking at your styles like your sketchbook styles and that you mm-hmm. you've i don't know you've you've got this um I don't know how to put my finger on it. It looks like you you've spent a lot of time drawing and hanging out with uh, with writers, like um, you know, sketching in black books, like you'd see in sort of uh, you know, yeah. subway art and stuff you know, like that. You know. Really, actually, the black book stuff, <clears throat> to the extent that I do it now, came later. Yeah, like when I was really active as a writer. So say, uh, you know, mid '90s or something was probably when I was most active. Uh, I wasn't really doing black books that much uh that came probably uh you know after everything and maybe around 2006 or 7 is when I, I started revisiting black books and then like getting real loose and having fun with that style 
I I'm not that familiar with your um like your, the graffiti you were doing in the nineties. Like what sort of style were you mm-hmm. doing? Because there was there was you know like the hectic wild style going around. But then like I look at the stuff that I know you for, and it's it's really mm-hmm. loose and and playful. Yeah, I would say. I don't know. It was '90s style. Yeah. It was, uh, you know, hard edges and stuff like that. It wasn't funky, fresh necessarily. You know, like the new styles are, uh, which is more like the retro stuff. It was definitely aged to that time. Yeah. And it was, uh, you know, at that time, the big thing for us in Chicago was was the trains. So it was also about just what you could do on a train and the time you had as people know how that goes yeah and you yeah. and you're like you're part of uh dirty 30 crew yeah yeah but you know that wasn't around then you know when i when i was around it was we're talking all just chicago crews that probably no one outside of chicago ever heard of yeah you know because i feel like these international and national crews didn't start happening until i don't know maybe what the 2000s or something yeah yeah, sorry, I'm not too uh, not too clued up on um, on Chicago Graph. You know, I only know yeah, really, not many uh, people are. Yeah, I know like yeah. you and Pose, and wasn't isn't Ether from out there as well? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a Chicago guy. Yeah, yeah. So when I was first introduced to your art, it was um, mm-hmm. when I was passing through LA, and uh, mm-hmm. like I've, I met you um, when you had your exhibition with Rhyme and and Dabs and Myla at the Nun yeah. Gallery. And I, um, yeah, the first stuff I, I saw of yours was um, like your sketchbook work, and um, mm-hmm. you know, like, do you, have you painted like a lot of uh, big paintings before, or do you always just start exhibiting your sketchbook stuff? Uh, it's more of the sketchbook stuff. I don't work that much with uh, like acrylics or oils or any sort of painting. I like to keep it with the markers and inks and stuff. Once in a while, I mess around with watercolors, but I, I don't know. I, ju- I just like staying with the markers because it's, I don't know, there's something to it. The, the, you know, of course, I could do everything on a panel and paint it and stuff, but I feel like there's some sort of purity behind the fact that I'm maintaining it at the marker level. Yeah. And it's, and yeah. And it's good that you're, um, you're taking them out of the sketchbooks and exhibiting them as well because some people are so... Uh, mm-hmm precious like i know me personally i'd have a hard time like ripping pages out of black books even if i was to exhibit pre- them, you know nothing nothing is precious to me yeah nothing like yeah i'm definitely of the mind state that when you make something then you move on to the next thing and whatever happens that what you made happens yeah that's a I, good, don't, I don't hold on to things yeah it's a good way to approach it because i interviewed um um david booth uh, another he's a mm. melbourne-based artist on here and he he got to a point mm-hmm. where he used up all his ideas in his sketchbooks and he just threw them all away and it's um <laughs> you know he's like well there's nothing left in there of everything that's good uh, I've, I've i've uh i've used i've turned into a painting or whatever i don't need them anymore and just throw them away it's uh uh-huh. it's a crazy thought you know coming from a graffiti background and it's like the black books uh you know you know maybe but maybe the graffiti background's kind of something that adds to that because it's it's so temporary, right? Yeah. So you 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 learn early on not to uh, hold anything too dear because it's not going to be there, and and maybe the next day it's gone, you know? Yeah. Yeah, because there's some people I've spoken to. It's like they don't want their pieces to stick around too long because it's like you know that that <laughs> style comes and goes, and it's like graffiti's meant to be removed, you know? And they yeah. you know people think some of the best things they've ever painted have been on trains and they they last like 12 hours if they're lucky you know 
yeah, yeah. for sure yeah but um i really like uh your approach to your um your sketchbooks how, how you really fill up the Thanks. page and incorporate a lot of like um different elements as well you don't mm-hmm. you don't just have one drawing floating in the middle of a page it's, it's yeah. sort of like you i don't know you really fill the whole thing yeah but, that's just kind of what comes naturally is when i work on those is is like uh a need to fill the page it's very natural for me yeah and you like you also exhibit your uh photographic work like in in a gallery mm-hmm. sense do you like keep your drawings like and photography work like um separate and like because you exhibit under the same name with both of them yeah but well, to you are they well, like two different like completely different worlds and you, you use them in different spaces you know, that's kind of something I've, I've struggled with over the years is finding that balance because I, I do I, what I have done is is kept them separate uh, until last year. I had an exhibition in Paris where I for the first time kind of combined photography and illustration in a, in a zine I made for the show. Um, but I, I do like keeping them separate because they're just kind of they're such different ends of the spectrum. You know, and it's like if when I unless I I really approach it right, it, it, it's just like what a confusing message to have like these two different extreme. Uh, not only the way they look, but but what's behind them and the messaging of of each body is so different. Yeah, because with yeah, because with your um your photographic work, I like how you've um you know you show them in uh, in galleries like you know alongside like pose and you know graffiti mm-hmm. artists like you, you your section will be photography based and it's um yeah mm-hmm. it's just it's just really uh interesting how you, how you take um you know you've got your sketchbook stuff which is graffiti background but you um but then yeah. you show you don't you you don't necessarily show that alongside other graffiti artists well you know it's kind of a, a big part of that is the reason i do it while uh, you know maybe it's a funny fit to people like okay well, there's this pose exhibition and there's these crazy black and white photos happening at the same time but the the way i looked at it was kind of like it's access to a different audience so i feel like you know if, if we take a known gallery show a lot of people especially something like pose there's a lot of kids and fans and different people that come to check out his stuff that i don't necessarily think would be reading something like the new york times every day or checking out keeping tabs on different uh, smaller conflicts throughout the world. So I looked at it like this is a, a way for me to present these different uh, things that are happening to a whole new audience and maybe opening up a couple people's eyes that, that weren't aware of things before. Yeah, because with, um, yeah, with your photojournalism, like you cover a mm-hmm. lot of like underreported issues and um, I've seen, seen bits and pieces from uh, the – the photo of the photos you spent from your time in West Papua and Burma, like mm-hmm. uh, you know, all I've really seen was some of the the photos like on on the internet and also um, the little video you made. Like, mm-hmm. uh, can you can you tell me a bit more about what you were doing over there and what you were documenting? Uh, well, you know, over the years I've focused on Southeast Asia in particular. Uh, so with Burma, that's been a really big place for me where I've, I've focused on there's, you know, it's a complicated situation there and has been, uh, where you have a number of like ethnic minorities that are kind of at, uh, in opposition with the central government and they're not, uh, 
things aren't too good for them, we could say. So those are the guys I've been focusing on in Burma. And then West Papua was, you know, that's the, the native people there have been resisting the Indonesian occupation for decades now. Uh, and that's what I was documenting there. Yeah. And, and how did you uh, end up on, on this assignment? Well, you know, uh, well, West Papua is one that I found myself. So sometimes you get the way it works is sometimes you get an assignment, like you get a phone call or someone says, okay, we want you to do this. Other times you say, I have an idea. I'd like to do this, you know? So West Papua was one that I had learned about and researched and, and took the initiative on my own, um, to make happen. And it took, uh, I don't know, probably about a year of planning because all that stuff takes, there's like taking the photos, like the, uh, the least amount of work of the whole thing in a lot of these situations. Cause you have to, you know, you have to find people. You can't just show up in a, in a random jungle and say, Hey, where, where are the rebels at? You know, you have to really put in some, some legwork to make all that happen. And I think West Papa was about a year's worth of work. Yeah. Yeah. Cause yeah. I, yeah. Cause like, do you feel it's, um, it's easier to take good photos when you're, um, like outside of your comfort zone and in like a completely different environment, like your eyes work differently. You know, if you're in, if yeah. you're in the same city, you live in day to day, like you, you just, you don't you just you know get on with your life but when you're mm-hmm. put somewhere where it's everything's completely different like it's your eyes look at different things and there's a lot more to um to take in and like i find like i go on holiday and i, I get snappy happy and take photos of everything and then i'm at home and i don't take photos of anything you know yeah yeah no question no, i think that's a natural thing that, that you just maybe are more tuned into to what's happening around you because you you are in a different place and you're you're more open-minded and when you're at home you're just kind of in a routine often and you don't even look up you know you just do your thing every day and you're not as uh, inspired by by the average i suppose yeah but yeah when i when i'm out there it does make it easier to uh to take photos but i will say that you know a, a real common saying in, in the photography world is like you should learn to take good pictures in your own backyard first before even going out to somewhere different to have that, that strong basis to work off of. Yeah. And with the, um, the short video I found online from, from that, uh, that assignment, like, um, mm-hmm. like you, at one, at one point you come under fire and like, um, it's mm-hmm. a whizzing past and everything. Yeah. Like was yeah. anyone shot? Was, was it that all that situation all right? Uh, I don't remember the, which particular uh, part of the video we're talking about, but uh, yeah, I've been been shot at a lot of times. Sometimes people get hit, sometimes people don't. I definitely have seen, uh, been in situations where people die. People, it gets pretty serious at times. But I've never been uh, shot, so. Yeah, and, and where have you yeah. been when these things have happened? Uh, I've been in Burma. I've been in even in Thailand a bunch, actually. Some of the crazier stuff was was in Bangkok of all places, and was I guess 2014 during when the political stuff starts happening there, it goes crazy real fast. Where you just have like street armies fighting it out, in on the main streets in downtown and stuff. And they they use grenades. They use fully automatic weapons. They have snipers. It gets wild. Yeah, yeah. I was um. I was over in Thailand when the um, the political 
stuff was happening in 2014. Mm. Like, I, I, mm-hmm. I went over there to get married, so I was like, I didn't really like <laughs> hang, hang out that much. But I noticed I went to yeah. a few parts of uh, different parts of Thailand, and, and you didn't notice anything happening. But when I was in Bangkok, no. it was like there was yeah. big, uh, you know, a lot of big protests everywhere, and people just camping out in the street, just not moving, and yeah, it was crazy. Yeah. So it's like that, and then. So I think in 2014, let's say it was like six months of of what you're talking about, and then every once in a while it would it would kick off. You know, it would be some flashpoint where would happen where it would make the two opposing groups meet up and uh, basically fight it out on the street. Yeah, jeez, it sounds pretty hectic. Because you you were living there for a while, yeah. weren't you? Yeah, I lived there for a few years, and I, I was always kind of have a little bit of a base in Bangkok because it's such a good place to jump off throughout the, the region. You know, all flights, you can go anywhere from Bangkok. And and the price is right there as a freelancer. You can get by okay. Yeah. And, uh, and so that was that your main reason for moving to Bangkok, just to be in a centralized yeah. um, Asian location and yeah. you know, get on with it? Exactly. Yeah. So... um. Getting back to uh, the last assignment we we're talking about from Burma, like um, mm-hmm. like I saw the uh, the collaboration you did with um with Retina, uh, where he mm-hmm. um, painted over your, your photos. Like, did he, yeah. did you do a, do a whole series of them, or was that just one image? That was just one image. That was uh, that was the, so that was the first time that I experimented mixing, you know, art with the photography, and that by doing it with with Mo, I think we had talked that we had wanted to do something together. He's always been uh, a strong supporter of mine. So as when the opportunity came up, we just made it happen. Yeah. Because yeah, um, you're part of our seventh letter, aren't you? And, yeah. And you have a lot of ties with um, like uh, the graffiti scene in, in LA as mm-hmm. well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. How, how did all that come about? Were you, were you, const- were you going to LA a lot from, um, from Chicago? No. Uh, I don't even remember who or who I met first or so. You know, actually, I guess Ewok isn't really considered an LA guy, but he was probably the first uh, like AWR MSK guy I was friends with because he lived in Chicago briefly in the in the 90s. So that's probably where the connection first started, but it, it really solidified with through Pose uh, years later. Because you know, me and Pose were we're like partners in some in a like a creative agency slash artist cooperative. Uh, so, and he had really been linking up with those guys in the early two thousands when I was away, and yeah, he he kind of made it all come together to the level it is now. Yeah. And so, like, did you also spend a lot of time in, in Europe? Like, is that how you linked up with, like, the FMK crew and all that? Or? Well, you know, actually, again, uh, it was because Diego lived in Chicago. He went to school there, to college in, like, uh, I don't know, 96 or something. And we randomly met on the street and became really good friends. And, yeah, he's someone that I actually think taught me a lot about graffiti because he came from such a different style and concept of what i knew at the time that that really opened up my eyes to to different flavors of graph i guess yeah. taught me to it was one of the guys that told me to relax a bit you know 
with the the flow the the more euro funky flow thing happen yeah yeah diego's fresh like um yeah yeah i've noticed that yeah uh, the style you do it sort of i can it it's got that um you know european or french sort of flavor to it more so than um mm-hmm. you know what i'd say consider like la base yeah you know, definitely or, or american definitely. you know I guess yeah. you can't like pinpoint one style on a on a city or, or anything like that, but but just what you you generally expect if someone just threw threw a, a a city out there, you know. Yeah, I agree with that statement for sure. Yeah. So do you, do you still um like paint graffiti much, or do you uh, like just stick to the sketchbooks uh, these days? I don't. I'm not out bombing. It's just not happening right now. Yeah. Because uh, I have no. I don't know. I have no interest in it. Like I don't feel like it. If I felt like it, I would do it. But. I, I, the draw is just not there for me. I'll I'll paint. It's like old man styles, kind of how I always put it. Like the old guys who still play softball or something. Like just to hang out with friends at a wall on a weekend day or something, you know. But that's almost more for the social aspect of hanging out with buddies than like trying to accomplish some major uh, graffiti feat. Yeah, you know, yeah. not not uh, not out that set out to um, break ground with new styles or anything like that. Yeah. No, not yeah. at all. Not at all. Yeah. Man, I'm, I'm, just, I'm with you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. Maybe one day I'll wake up and that's what I feel like doing. But for the past uh, years, it's, that hasn't been the case. And I think it's important. Like, I, don't, I wouldn't want to ever force myself or make some sort of quota for myself. Like, I really believe that I just need to, to do whatever I'm feeling at the moment. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. Like, every now and then I get a get a impulse, you know. Like, when I was, mm-hmm. um, when I was living in... Uh, um, Barcelona you know I've been living in mm-hmm. London for so many years and, and city and right. other cities are like got a lot of CCTV and it's just really hard to get anything done you know and um yeah, yeah and then when I got to Barcelona it was like the handbrake was released and you know yeah then I, yeah, then I you know lived there for a year and a half and then arrived back in Melbourne and it was just like now all right time to time to settle down again you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah you got to deal with the environment you're in you yeah. know I happened to it's funny because now, you know, I live in this place that I, I, I say it's like the 16-year-old mind, uh, me, like this total fantasy. Like there's graph everywhere, trains run. It's like a graffiti paradise, but I have no interest in partaking in it. Yeah. It's funny. Just observe, eh? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, was, um, I was reading on the, um, the Al Jazeera website, like um, mm-hmm. a story you did about the, the Thai prison fighters who could like, fight their way yeah. out of prison. Like you tell yeah. me a bit more about that and how you how you got into all that. That was well, a funny one. You didn't get into it, it's, but you know, it, you documented it's, it. Yeah. yeah to, I still, I couldn't tell you to, to this day the real story behind that whole thing. I'm still not clear on it. Uh, it was a couple of like Russian dudes. They weren't Russian, but they're from an Eastern European country. I just won't say so they don't get identified. But a couple Russian dudes running the whole thing. So that's who I had to connect with. And they were throwing prison fights, which is like inside the Thai prisons. And they would bring in foreign fighters, which is kind of an odd thing to me that some foreigner wants to fight Thai prisoners to begin with. But they would bring in these guys and then the prisoners would get like a, a nice day of watching their fellow inmates fight white guys basically from around the world uh, um and they said 
the deal is if if you became a champion as a prisoner, you could get out early. But I'm not even sure that how often that actually happened. So I feel like it was there's maybe some sort of scam going on there, and I just still can't figure out what it was. Yeah, but uh, it was a, it was an interesting thing to to take part in or to to document for sure. And I did it multiple times. Like I became friends with these guys who were running it. They took a liking to me, and and I kind of like liked them as well. And I would, uh, I think I went inside of the prisons maybe five or six times with them. Yeah, you got some great photos. Thanks. Yeah. No, Thank pre- you. It's, yeah, it's pretty uh, weird. Like I can't see what was in it for um, the Europeans that they were fighting, but uh, you know, I guess if you're doing a, I think just the thrill. Yeah. Yeah. If you're doing a sentence in Thailand, you know, in, in a Thai prison, you want, want to get out there as quick as possible, you know? <laughs> yeah, definitely. But yeah. they're not fun places. I've never spent time, like, you know, spent jail time in a Thai prison. But from what I saw, it's not some place you want to spend too much time, from what I hear. Yeah. I, I don't you know, know. Any, like, really anything about um, Thai prisons, but we had a, um, yeah. a show out here that was big in the 80s, a Nicole Kidman like, miniseries, mm-hmm. and it was like uh, called Bangkok Hilton. And it was about her, um, she got, um, you know, she, her boyfriend was like smuggling heroin or something out of Bangkok and, yeah. uh, and they put it in her bag and it's all about this innocent girl that gets locked up in, in a jail in Bangkok. Yeah, that's, it's, yeah, it's just a nightmare, you know. There's a lot of stories like that out of Bangkok. Yeah. It's a pretty typical story. Yeah. It's a place a lot of people find themselves or get themselves in trouble pretty quick. Yeah. Something about that place, yeah. So how'd you go about getting your um, your foot in the door in the first place with with that assignment? Uh, I don't know. I just tracked. I I had heard about the the fact that these things existed, that there was these prison fights, and I just started hitting the streets basically with the uh, you know with a translator and, and searching around the city, different gyms and stuff to try to track down who was behind it. And that led me to the Russians. Yeah, bit of detective work. Yeah, you got it. That's like I was saying earlier. That's the the legwork is the real work, you know. Yeah, and um, like, do do you enjoy that that part of it? Like doing all your um, you know, doing the legwork and getting everything, like tracking people down and working out how you're actually going to go get the photos. Yeah, I think I do. I do enjoy that part of it. It's uh, I don't know. It's always cool to like just have a concept and and start with nothing and somehow you end up arriving there with your feet on the ground one day you know it's kind of it's a it can be challenging and it you know it doesn't always work out either there's times i've done a lot of you know i've gone and traveled to countries and sat in hotel rooms for weeks and stuff for or for something that was supposed to happen that just didn't happen or it was or it didn't look like it would happen uh right or in a safe way that, that i could get out of or something yeah, and how, how do you normally like um like come across these stories to document? Because they they're quite, you know, they're like I, the whole I thing. I keep is, my eye is, on in, everything. Yeah. Yeah. So I keep my eye. You know, uh, I'll read local papers, uh, local news sources from different places. A lot of uh, NGOs, you know, like charities and stuff, work in different places, and you can hear mentions of things. And also over the years, you kind of just build contacts in certain regions with uh, people in different fields, I guess, that that also hear things. And it's kind of just keeping your ear to the ground all the time. Yeah. 
And like, ha- and what made you like decide to become a photojournalist in the first place? Well, that was uh, that happened in prison when I was locked up. Uh, I think that that was when I got the idea first came into my head that like this is something that exists and it's something that interests me and something that I could actually do. Okay. Well, and that and that came from just because I read the paper uh, every day when I was locked up and I don't know one day it just clicked and there was also a combination of I felt like everyone complained a lot in prison you know in America and and I realized it wasn't that bad when you're reading about like a famine somewhere in the world and there's like a child starving to death who did nothing and then we're all locked up because you know maybe half the people say they're innocent but we all did something. And we still get three meals a day. No, like, opposing tribes going to show up in the middle of the night and slaughter us, you know? Like, so I felt like, uh, I don't know, that drove me that that people really have it bad and, and people in the West need to recognize that at least, you know? And hopefully maybe even do something about it or be motivated to do something. Yeah. I've heard similar stories from people over here as well that said that they've done time in prison and... They've come mm-hmm. out to say, I've never been around a biggest, bigger bunch of complaining guys in my life. You yeah. know? They're all big and scary, yeah. but they're just complaining, oh, you know, the food's, sure. no, food's no good or this and that and da da da. It's like, yeah. it's, it's crazy. I think it kills yeah. time. I, I get it. Like, uh, you know, I'm not saying I was whistling in tune every day when walking around happy, yeah. but like, just perspective, you know, you got to have some perspective. Yeah. And a lot of people are negative. You know, you're talking about, maybe a population of people that can tend to be negative to start with or have a bit of a chip on their shoulder. So it's natural people complain. I think people complain about whatever situation they're in, right? Yeah. Like even a guy who's got things going good will complain he doesn't have the the 2017 Benz instead of the 2015. Or We all complain that's human nature. But I think it's good to, to recognize that that's human nature and to try to, try to alter that and, and remain positive and and, re- and recognize what we all do have. Yeah. No, I'm with you. Like my wife and I try and pull each other up all the time when we, com- you know, if we complain about the smallest thing, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, oh, it's yeah. outside. I wanted to ride my bike to work or whatever, you know. Um, yeah. It'd just be like, could, you know, we traveled around India a lot and we're just like, just remember that, remember India? Remember all the people you saw over there? And, exactly. You know, and it really, um, really puts it in perspective. It does. It does. If, if you don't mind me asking, what were you, what, what were you mm-hmm. in jail for? Uh, for drug shit, for importing uh, drugs, for importing ecstasy. I was in 2000. Okay. Yeah. Sorry to hear that. And that got busted. Uh, it's, it is what it is. Yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, I didn't get busted myself, but I was, I was charged in a conspiracy, which just means someone said I did something. So okay. they got me five years. Yeah. Shit. I didn't know that. Yeah. 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 But, but um, that's, uh, that's why I stopped doing graffiti pretty much in the late 90s was because I had moved on to this other other stuff, more, uh, I guess, street stuff, you could call it. And I was feeling it would be really ridiculous to get arrested for, like, doing a throw-up when I had much bigger things happening at the time. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I did. I, um, mm-hmm. It's uh, Now I find out more about you, it's... Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting because when I first met you in LA, 
like um, mm-hmm. Claire, my wife, and I, we've been, you know, we'd spent like a year and a half down in South America and we just crossed the border yeah. in, from Mexico into the States and we hadn't had phones or anything the whole time. And, um, yeah, and when we got when we got to LA, it was like we'd go out for drinks with people and all that, and everyone would just be sitting there just scrolling away on Instagram and all that type of stuff. Yeah. We we we, uh, we didn't even know what Instagram was back then, you know, because <laughs> it had all happened when we were away. And then like I met you, and it's like um, it's like oh man, you know, Casey's really down to earth. Like he's just, he's normal. <laughs> That's cool to you. Know? <laughs> like I'm not saying everyone was like that because I met some really cool people in LA, you know. But um, yeah. You know, but I remember even that when we were at that party at Roger Gatsman's house, you know, mm-hmm. who, um, you know, a lot of people, I had, you know, people coming up to me saying, so who are you and what do you do? And I'd be like, oh, I'm, yeah, Tom, yeah. I'm Tom, I'm unemployed, you know. And they, they couldn't <laughs> see that I could help them progress their career or anything. Yeah. It was like, and then they'd walk off and it's like, fuck this, I'm going to go have a beer with KC, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I find that that shit is like, I don't know, it's sickening to me. Yeah. You know, how people are like that, but I don't know, maybe it comes through travel, you know, that it levels your head a bit. Yeah. Uh or I don't know. I just think it's being a good person. Who cares like what someone else does or Yeah. or how they can help you. Like make your own way and and you know, enjoy everybody's got something to offer as well. Like uh, Yeah, that LA stuff's not for me. I could never ever live in LA in a million years. Yeah. So you're uh, you're happy now living in Copenhagen? Yeah, I am. I love I love Copenhagen. I love Denmark. I actually feel like uh, you know this corner of the world is is kind of the one place that has it somewhat figured out, yeah. at least comparatively to the rest of the world at the time being. Yeah, I was. Um, I feel really fortunate that that my kids gonna you know grow up here. So yeah. I'm I'm happy about it. Yeah, I spent a bit of time there. Uh, not you know only a few weeks in um. 2013 or 14 or something like that mm-hmm. but um yeah i really loved it there just like loved how late i was in in the summer so i didn't experience yeah. winter or anything but um just how laid back everything was just riding bikes everywhere and um and also like i'm pretty big on uh like environmental issues and just even mm-hmm. how they uh, handle recycling and everything over there they they give you yeah. a, a, an incentive, you know. Like you put your feed, sure. you, know, you feed those machines or your empty bottles and stuff, and it spits out money for you and yeah, just things like that. You know, it's just like oh, they got it worked out. They've actually got a system yeah. that that works here. You know, and they're they're super green conscious. You know, from the windmills to the recycling to even the fact that everyone rides the bike that makes such a different difference in the impact on the environment. You know? Yeah, totally. So, um, getting back to your. Uh, your photography like did you have um mm-hmm. so when you when you uh you got out of jail you wanted to start taking mm-hmm. taking photos so did you have yeah. did you have someone like uh like mentor you or or you know show you the ropes at all no not really i'll say like it took uh almost a year between the time i actually got out and got my hands on a camera just because i had to deal with so much other stuff immediately uh you know, coming out after that amount of time. And then uh, I think I actually got the, my first camera came from, so in, I got on 2006 and then 2007, maybe I hooked up uh, with Pose, like uh, hooked up in the sense that he kind of invited me to come into the, his studio and, and start working with him on uh, this like commercial agency 
that he had started up at that time. And he had some cameras there, and that's when I first started playing with the camera. And then kind of like practiced with by documenting like him painting walls and and other guys doing graph stuff actually. Yeah, and, yeah. Like, and then from there it was all just me figuring out how a camera works and and you know the real thing like anything is, is uh, getting some experience just doing it and learning from your mistakes like what works what doesn't work. Yeah, and you um you shoot do you shoot all in black and white? Is that no, I shoot everything. I prefer black and white. It's just like, uh, I, you know, it's what I like. I like the aesthetic and I like the fact that it kind of, I feel like the black and white takes, when this color can be distracting in a way, whereas if it's black and white, it's just, uh, you know, it's, you're forced to look at it in a different way, if that makes sense. Yeah. It's, it, maybe it's more direct, you know, in a way. I don't know. That that's kind of how I've looked at it. Yeah. And was was your career a slow build, or was there like like one assignment, or like um, shot, you know, group of photos you took, or something like that, that that really got you going to say, oh, look, I'm not going to have a um, have a side job here. I'm going to go straight into my um, into my photography. Mm. I guess it's a slow build because it takes some years to figure it all out. Uh, but then there's there's a point like I think for me kind of a break that came where things started coming in a lot more was after I got like an award in 2010 like a pretty prestigious photo wor- photo world award that put me on the radar uh, for work I did in Laos on like these Hmong rebels that are like guys basically still fighting the Vietnam War today so that got me the exposure to uh, I guess people in the industry or, or just in general, and then things started coming my way a little bit more. So, so that was and like- once you and like when you when you have an award like that, like you know that an editor maybe is going to look at your email or something. Like you're not so much just some guy off the street hitting them up or something, you know? Yeah. So you you were just like self initiated, just got up went overseas and started um shooting photos do you think do you think that like there was more happening overseas and that you could um actually build a career off those st- documenting those stories instead of just you know shooting around chicago or whatever yeah and, and there were more of the issues that interested me personally like uh you know i guess it's kind of i've always been a fan of the underdog so to say you know I was really raised that you root for the underdog and and I feel like uh think there was the guys, you know, living in the jungles of Laos are much bigger underdogs than than the people in Chicago and their story could be needed to be told a bit needed to be told more. Yeah. No, definitely. Yeah. That's so, not to take away from from people suffering in Chicago, which of course there are, you know. Yeah. But it's just for me. That's what that's what I was drawn to. Yeah. So do do you have a dream assignment or something like that that you'd like to go and shoot, or have mm, you done them all? That's a good. That's <laughs> a good question. No. Uh, yeah, I do have a dream assignment that I've been working on for I don't know eight years now, and just is not happening, and probably never will. There's one particular corner of Burma that's controlled by this this rebel group called the Wa 
and they're like they're the ones that make all the the meth and the speed and stuff for Asia, and they don't let anyone, no outsiders are allowed in. But I've tried and tried over the years making different contacts to get in, and it just hasn't happened. And I don't think it ever will because they're also because they're connected to the Chinese, and the Chinese are a bit more media savvy than your average uh, rebel group. Yeah. Have you have you yeah. um, got yourself in deep water, like in, on any of your assignments? Yeah, yeah. I've been in Iraqi jails. I've been in under, like I said, under fire a bunch. I've, I've got myself into some, some trouble and found myself sometimes wondering if I was going to get out of it, but I always do. And that's what always gets me. That's kind of also how I always call myself is, is in those situations is the fact that I'm, I am still breathing. So I've made it out every time before. Hopefully that will apply this time as well. Yeah. Any good stories and you want to knock share? Knock on wood, it does. It's uh, a good one. I did think I was going to lose my life over a fart once. And this this is actually back in Laos again. I was with, like I said, these Hmong rebels. And it's like they met us off a like logging road. And then we had to hike their camp, which was about a three-week hike through the jungle. And the whole time we have to avoid the Lao people army. And then as we're hiking making this trek we come across a, a army patrol so we have to all jump in bushes and all hide and we're sitting there hiding it's me and a writer i'm working with and like uh five or six little rebel guys and we're watching like the feet of the army dudes go by us you know like crushing the twigs very dramatic in front of us then all of a sudden the one of the the monk dudes starts farting uncontrollably just these loud farts ripping and uh, I remember thinking I'm going to die because the army guys are going to hear this and it's going to be over this this dude's upset stomach. And they kept walking. They didn't hear it. And then, yeah, made it out alive. But I thought that was a pretty funny uh, way to, to end up dead if it was how it was going to go down. Yeah. He must have been yeah. shitting himself. <laughs> yeah. Not as much as the guy next to me, but... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so now, now that you're based in Copenhagen, do you, uh, do you plan mm-hmm. on um, like still like uh, keeping one foot in Asia and traveling out there for for assignments? Oh, yeah, but I think a lot less less so. The way you know, it's, it's taken me a while to come to terms with this since moving here. But like I said, because I had so much such a long drama with my my immigration coming here. But I've had a lot of, it's taken me, you know, almost two years to get my residency approved here. And in that time, I haven't been allowed to travel or work or anything. So I've had a lot of time to kind of sit around and think about what my next steps are going to be. And I, I don't think I'm going to be in Asia as much as I used to be. Uh, I think maybe I'm looking at like doing one or two photo stories a year, really picking them and choosing them. And and doing those, but focusing more on, on my art going forward from here in Copenhagen. So I'm setting up a, a new studio this summer and and, and keep my, my eye on that prize more than, than the photo stuff. Yeah. And, um, and with and doing only one or two assignments a year, is that enough to generate an income for you as well? No, that wouldn't be enough. That So the photo stuff's really going to be more passion going forward. You know, I'll make I'll make some money, but uh, you know, my income will come through my art, my major main income. Yeah, 
But at least you're uh, you're being creative for a living and doing you know living on your terms. Yeah. You know. Yeah, yeah, and I enjoy it. And you know, it's a lot's changed though in the the photo world as well, and in media and news. You know, people don't really trust the news, trust what they see in a photo anymore. And I kind of want to. I feel like the world's in a different place today than it was when I started exploring things with photography and you know there's messages i want to put out or things i want to explore that are bigger concepts that i could handle with photography i don't i don't think can be covered with photography you know so that's i really want to try to look at bigger things going forward than just uh, individual specific cases like what i would do with photography yeah and what what sort of uh things are you talking about well, i think you know everything from trump to really this this new world like the world has changed and i don't know if everyone recognizes that how much it has changed right now but the world has really really fucking changed since since brexit since trump i mean it's like we i don't know i don't have any answers as to where this is all going or how it's going to turn out but i think that it's insane that we're the level of propaganda that happens today in the west you know like the the fake news and the 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 just the greed that's leading uh, places like the states, which you know the states are significant because it impacts the entire world. You know, so now that like you have Trump in charge in the states and dude doesn't give a shit about anything, it, it gives free license to dictators across the world to do what the fuck they want because nobody's there to even criticize them anymore you know and i i think we're talking human rights are are under attack more now than than in the recent you know last couple decades or at least it seems you know that it's hard to say there's always issues right but i really feel like it's more of an urgent thing that's happening in the world today yeah yeah no i agree i i, I try and uh, i try and tune out you know because um Try to keep a positive yeah, mindset and all that, and I just, I just can't. Yeah, you know, I, I know I'm just sick of hearing bad news all the time. You know, like I was even in a cafe this morning having a, having a coffee and just doing a drawing, and I said, and there was a newspaper turned over, so you can only see like the, mm-hmm. the bottom of the the front cover, front page, and I said, oh, what what um what you know bad news have we got on the front page of the newspaper today? And we turned the page, uh, turned it over, and there's just um some girls there and in big letters it says i was raped and it's like oh great you know this is what we want to start our day reading about it's, you know yeah. like i'm not saying uh, you know it, I, I feel sorry for her that she was raped and all that but you know what i mean yeah, of course. Sort of, like can't can't use like but it's shock positive on it's there, shock you know? and extreme like everything's extreme and shock and yeah 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 anyway moving on yeah so, back, like, so, so, yeah. Um, going back to your art, what you were saying before, how you're mm-hmm. going to make a living off your off your art. Would that mm-hmm. be like your um your black book stuff, or have you got um, more painting different yeah, styles? Well, that you're I do on? larger, like larger versions of those. You know, like poster size. Mm-hmm. I do original. Then I, I do a lot of commission stuff where people hit me up and so they know what I do and like what I do. But it's kind of like. Uh, basically doing a black book page, I guess you could say, for them. So a lot of, you know, when someone approaches me, I, I say either I can just do what I want to do 
or if you'd like, you give me like 10 different things you want to appear in, in this drawing or, or ideas you want shown in here. And it, it's like, uh, I take it from there. Yeah. That's, yeah. Yeah. I might, uh, might have to, um, look into prices with you on one of them because I wouldn't mind cool. one for the, uh, the wall myself, you know? Yeah. Fresh, fresh. Yeah. So and, what, and then I also do, uh, you know, I do do illustration stuff for like editorial and some apparel stuff like that. Yeah. That's yeah. Cool. So, um, like, have you, like, what plans have you got for the uh, the future? Like, uh, other than like pursuing with your art career, have you got any like big projects on the go or anything like that? Mm, no, actually, I, you know, I don't have I don't have any shows lined up for this year. Uh, but I think a lot of it's. A lot has to do with the fact that I just haven't known what the hell is happening with my life while I was waiting for this immigration thing to get sorted out. Yeah. So I couldn't, I can't commit to anything, you know, uh, or I wasn't able to commit because I couldn't even leave the country, and I couldn't. So I'm now figuring out what my big plans are. Um, I'm supposed to do actually a photo book with these guys from uh, Iceland, but. We'll see if I have the time to actually get out there and make that happen this year. For that, we'll wait another year. Yeah. So, like, yeah. just finishing up, uh, where's where's the best place to for people to um, check out your art online? Right now, it's Instagram. Yep. It's uh, Instagram, which is at KC, the number one, and then O-N-E, one. Uh, and that's because I had to take down... Uh, all my websites during this immigration thing because I couldn't be seen as working. Okay. So all that when I get every my actual paperwork in hand, I will have uh, new websites up. Yeah. But yeah, I can't direct anyone there now. So. Yeah. No worries. Yeah, because yeah, you're a hard one to find uh, information about online. Like there's a yeah, few yeah. stories and there's a lot of images and everything, but um, yeah, there didn't seem to be. A, a, yeah, a, a lot of yeah. It kind of kills me. It kind of kills me that I, I took down uh, my photo website, like I did, because I liked having it up just so people could could find it and look at it and check out the different existing work already. But it is what it is, and did what I had to do. Yeah, but it'll it'll be back up. Yeah, I look forward to it. All right. Well, cool. thanks for um, taking the time to sit down and have a chat with me. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. No worries. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. To find out more about today's guest, go to benchtalkpodcast.com. There you'll find all previous episodes and images of the guest's artwork. Also, follow us on Instagram, bench underscore talk. There you can keep up to date with all things that are happening with the podcast. Bench Talk's also streaming on SoundCloud and Facebook. Just simply search for Bench Talk Podcast. Or you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. While you're there, don't forget to rate and review. It helps get the word out. And if you like the podcast, don't forget to tell a friend. Thanks again for tuning in and stay tuned for next week's episode. Bye.